Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. Women have particular challenges due to their unique physiology. Lady problems down there. Tonight, on call with the Prairie Duck, celebrating our 20th season. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Jill Cruz, Prairie Duck, and host of tonight's on Call with the Prairie Doc program, celebrating 20 seasons of truthful, tested, and timely medical information. With me here in the studio on our South Dakota State University campus in Brookings is Dr. Matt Barker of Avera Medical Group Urogynecology in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And joining us via Zoom is Dr. Lauren Wood Toome of Urology Specialist in Sioux Falls. Tonight we are talking urogynecology, or as I call it, lady problems down there. Uh, first off, could you guys tell us what, what exactly is a urogynecologist? I, I know what a urologist is. I know what a gynecologist is. Is this a an unique mashup of the two specialties? Uh, Matt, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I think uh, it is an overlap of uh, the specialties of gynecology and urology, but there's also other factors involved with colorectal disease. Um, and as they were defining this field and developing it as into a subspecialty, there was a lot of input from both urology and gynecology, and I think that's how the, the term kind of came into vogue and has stuck with us, but uh, oftentimes we'll refer to it as female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery is okay. what I'm boarded in and is what uh, Dr. Wood is a specialist in as well. Yeah, and your training started with uh, OBGYN and then a fellowship into urogyne after that. Correct. Correct, all right. And Lauren, um, your background, you started with the other end, the urology, yes. and then went to the urogyne. Yes, so I did urology and then what used to be called female urology and now was more commonly known as Dr. Barker said, female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. So if you hear urogyne, female urologist, FPMRS, it's pretty much referring to the same thing and the only differences are the way we started our training, Dr. Barker with gynecology and me with urology. Okay, so you really can come at it from uh, two different specialties, but with the same goal of helping women with problems, basically with, is it pelvic floor issues? So like yes. incontinence, uh, bladder issues, bowel issues. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the one that kind of summarizes is like we call it pelvic floor disorders. And uh, I think that's a more comprehensive term that affects both the urinary, the reproductive system, and the gastrointestinal system that we see uh, as urogynecologists. Okay, so can you define what exactly is the pelvic floor when people are talking about it? Yeah, I, so I think uh, the pelvic floor that you, usually refers to like this bowl of muscles that helps support both the bladder and the uterus. Oh, and uh, Dr. Wood's right got a here. nice uh, <laughs> model. Uh, model there that shows it, but all the, all the things that hold in both all the organs that are affiliated with the urinary tract, the lower urinary tract, which is the bladder and urethra, mm -hmm. the uterus and the vagina for reproductive health, and then the rectum and colon for uh, the bowel aspects to it. And those are all coordinated through muscles that are related to the, the pelvic bone. Okay, 
All right. And Lauren, is there a reason that it's women having these issues? Why are, I mean, men have a pelvic floor too, technically, right? Right, right. And, you know, we as women are blessed to be able to bear children, have babies. Um, and a lot of these issues are from pregnancy and delivery. You know, if you have C-sections, you're at a slightly lower risk of suffering from these issues. But any woman that's pregnant, um, that certainly increases the risk. Also, a prior history of having a hysterectomy or the uterus removed can also increase your risk for prolapse and other things. And so it's simply a difference of anatomy in men and women and the things our bodies go through. Yeah, and I think what Dr. Wood and I see too is the aging process. As women live older and longer lives and more active lifestyles, uh, you'll see that this becomes a limiting factor and it has to do more just the aging, the change in the nervous system, the change in muscle mass and all those things that, that contribute to those things. Uh, but it all really kind of probably starts with our aspect of, of childbirth. Okay. So is this something that happens like immediately after childbirth or is this, you know, going to be a problem 20 years down the road? My, my kids are like nine and 11. When, <laughs> when am I going to make an appointment with you guys? <laughs> it can happen at, it can happen at any time. So more commonly we see it, the older you get, the more likely you are to have a pelvic floor disorder, but there's plenty of women who have prolapse immediately after a delivery or women who have incontinence while pregnant or immediately after pregnancy. And so um, it just, it depends, but it can affect any woman at any stage in her life. And women who've never been pregnant can have these issues as well. Okay. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, since a lot of the viewers are, you know, my grandma used to love this show and was a supporter of it, uh, that it's the younger women that we see that I've been excited to be in development at, at Avera McKinnon we've done is a pelvic, postpartum wellness clinic for women after they deliver because a lot of times things will be missed even by their obstetricians or injuries aren't recognized and, and fixed quickly. And so, you know, the, the younger viewers out there that I think the birth trauma is a thing that we don't talk enough about that how we can help people uh, right after uh, their deliveries or talk about things while they're pregnant to kind of prevent damage and those types of things. And I know Lauren can't be with us because she's currently pregnant. So I think she, exactly. she has a lot of things to say about this as well. Yes, I could use some bulk of it. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So a lot of things, so birth trauma, is that talking like, you know, the tears that women have with deliveries or what sort of things during birth could uh, lead to problems later down the road? Lauren? So it can be from, again, birth or just being pregnant. I mean, um, a lot of women who are pregnant leak with activity like coughing, laughing, sneezing, because as the uterus grows, it presses on the bladder. And those hormon hormonal changes affect you as well. So even in the first trimester when the uterus isn't very large, you still see a lot of urinary frequency and urgency just because of the change in hormone levels. Um, if you have a second, third, fourth degree tear, which second degree tears, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, because this is again, your area of expertise, but are very common. And so if things, you know, if you had a bowling ball go through your nose, your nose isn't going to be the same again. And I know, you know, God intended for us to have babies, but um, things are just not necessarily going to be the same down there. And that trauma can lead to things like prolapse and incontinence. And as Matt was mentioning with the aging process, the other thing to think of is as those tissue changes, you know, think about our face as we age, there's less collagen, there's less elastin. Well, those things exist in the vaginal tissue as well. And so you, you would lose that muscle mass, you lose those support structures, and then the trauma of delivery and all the pressure from pregnancy, sometimes it's just too much for the body to handle. And the thing that really frustrates me is when I ask a woman, oh, do you have, feel a bulge in the vagina? Do you leak 
you know, when you cough or when you can't make it to the bathroom and they say, oh yes, but I'm older or oh yes, but that's because I had babies. And yes, that may be the case, but that doesn't mean that it's normal. And, the, and there are plenty of ways we can help treat that. And so I think the one thing that, you know, I'm sure Matt would agree is that I just wish we could raise awareness for the fact that pelvic floor disorders are treatable and you shouldn't have to suffer with these in silence. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a, a great, great point of that whole thing of awareness. And like you said, how people just think this is a normal part of aging, and it's not. It it's, can be debilitating, it can affect their quality of life, which is why Dr. Wood and I do what we do to help people. Um, the other thing that I would add to this that I, I, I've become more, uh, uh, as I've practiced longer and seen more patients from birth trauma, is how poorly we prepare young moms to become moms and talk <laughs> about the potential harm that could come just from having a baby, which is just being pregnant, having a baby is a very natural process, but there's a lot of side effects that can happen with, with deliveries or being pregnant. And they're being seen for nine months by a doctor and they have a birth trauma and they're uh, just kind of almost blindsided by the, the negative impact that, that that traumatic birth could have on them and learning about their pelvic floor muscles, learning about exercises, learning about things that can prevent birth trauma, I think are really important for a young person uh, because we know that that type of trauma, we might miss it. It might not necessarily be a tear. We could completely miss it. It could be an injury to the muscle. But then those injuries may not present for 5, 10, 15, 20 years on top of it. So the sooner we can educate them, rather than just saying, oh, it's normal to, to have leakage in my 60s. Well, no, it's not. But educating them both at a young age, and then when they do get older, that it isn't just a new normal, there are things to help them. Yeah, and I, I would have a lot of patients uh, in my primary care when I, I would ask that every time. Do you have any leaking when you cough, sneeze, jump? And the one was like, yes. I was like, well, would you like to do something about it? Oh, no. I was like, but, but we can do things about it. We can right. help this. So, yeah, I, do, I think, um, you know, they're worried about the, the time commitment, the cost, or, and moms are notorious for, well, I got to take care of everybody else, and then I can take right. care of me. And, and I think that's, unfortunately, sometimes to their detriment that they just, they just deal with it and, and don't seek options. So... You know. I mean, imagine imagine if we just expected men with erectile dysfunction to just deal with it. Can you imagine the backlash if we didn't if insurance didn't pay for Viagra or if there wasn't an option? I mean, there would be a total uproar. And so, I think we should we should hold women's healthcare to the same high standards and make sure they understand that those treatments are available. And you're not asking too much to fix an anatomical problem. It's not elective. I mean, it's elective, but it's not cosmetic. It's not a nose job. You know, it's not something to be ashamed of if you need help with that. Yeah, and I think you know shows like this are raising awareness, and and I'm sure Dr. Wood will, will say this as well. The procedures and technology and therapies we have are so minimally invasive now, and the recovery time is shorter. How we were treating this uh, 10, 15 years ago even has, has has greatly expanded, and and the therapy options and the success rates have all greatly improved over over time with new new therapies. Mm -hmm. and, and I know people are kind of worried about you know cost and, and insurance, all those incontinence products, that adds up over time. And that's not covered by anything. I mean, that's all Correct. out of pocket. If you're paying for those you know, products, that is. And I think you gotta remember, it's, it's, the, it's the social impact. Yes. Yeah, I mean, just that someone's not going to church, it's not 
wanting to go to see their family or go on a trip or go on a vacation. And, and, uh, and Dr. Ward, I'm sure you got stories of patients. Those are the ones that, oh, I can finally do something Absolutely. again that, that, that make this very rewarding. Yeah, I Absolutely. I mean, yeah. what Dr. Barker and I treat are quality of life issues. And one thing that I love about what we do is we rarely have to tell people they have cancer or that they have to have surgery or they have to have treatment. They come to you with a complaint and usually we can make it much better or fix it all together and give them that aspect of their quality of life back, which I think is such a unique part of this field and part of the medicine that we practice. Oh, I mean, I, I'm just in awe of, of what you guys do. This is just fascinating that there's so many things and different modalities. It's not a one size fits all and it's not just throwing pills at them and you know dealing with Absolutely. any side effects or issues with that. There's multiple options and things, medication, procedures, you know, physical therapy, lots of different things that we can do for this. And I think a lot of times too, and is you, you see someone has one problem and there, there's different layers to that problem and other things that can go in conjunction with that. So someone who suffers from urinary issues might also have trouble with their bowel movements or trouble with uh, accidents of stool or pain with intercourse or these types of things. So when we talk about pelvic floor disorders, that's why we have to approach this from this global perspective because all those things interrelate. Um, and which is why Dr. Wood has a training, and I have our training, is be because you, you need to kind of see how that's all coordinated so you don't fix one thing and two things fail, or you right. miss one thing and the success rate's not, not the same there. And that becomes the challenge of our job. Uh, there are easy therapies, but getting patients to understand the other aspects that can be going wrong with their pelvic floor is really important as well. And finding the right therapy for that exact patient with that exact problem. It sounds like they're kind of very individualized and not a one size fits all. Every woman with the continence gets this prescription or gets this right. procedure. So, okay. And not all incontinence is created alike. I mean, I have, you know, women come and say, well, I'm leaking. Well, is it with activity? Is it when you sneeze, cough, laugh, exercise, or is it gotta go, gotta go, I can't make it. And well, they say, well, I'm just leaking. Well, those are two separate issues and we have to treat them as such. And as Dr. Bark was saying, you know, if there's leakage of stool or pelvic organ prolapse, pain with intercourse, recurrent urinary tract infections, we have to look at that holistically. And you wouldn't go to your cardiologist and they would say, well, how is your blood pressure? But not ask you about your diet or your cholesterol or your diabetes or anything else that could relate to your circulatory system. And so that just that having that 30,000 degree view and making sure that we're really going through every system individually and making sure that they understand that not all leakage is the same, not all bulges are the same, they're not necessarily treated the same way. And just because your friend had a sling, that doesn't mean that's what you need. And so <laughs> I think sometimes it's really hard to break that down. Um, and there's a multitude of treatment options. And so it can be pretty complicated. And so, you know, we tend to spend a lot of time with these patients to try to go through that and really explain it so that they understand what we're trying to treat and what, what our goals are shared and, you know, together. All right, well, on that note, a woman from Brookings who had bladder leakage and urgency for 10 years says a device to help her with that changed her life. Prairie Doc reporter Carter Schmidt spoke with her about the Interstim device. 69-year-old Connie Crandall had the Interstim device implanted about six months ago. I was having a lot of problems with urgency, like you have to go, you have to go now. There's no waiting. Lots of problems with leakage, always knowing like, you name the store in Sioux Falls, I can tell you where the bathroom is, making plans, traveling, it was stopping a lot. It was starting to interfere with my life. Um, I'd been on several medications for it. Those worked for a while, but not real good. 
Crandall's doctors in Brookings referred her to a specialist in Sioux Falls. After some testing, they determined the device was right for her. So at that point, we decided we'd go ahead with a permanent implant, which was a surgery in Sioux Falls. Um, it wasn't that bad a surgery. I mean, my scar is only about this long. It's on my hip. This is how I control the intensity of the interstim. And this is what um, a little gadget, <laughs> I call it my little gadget, that you actually put over the battery when you want to change your stimulation. But the recovery wasn't that bad. I mean, any incision hurts for a while. I think I took one painkiller. Other than that, I was, you know, resting for a few days. And so that was pretty good, you know. I was, it, was, it was less than I thought it was going to be. Well, the hardest thing, um, I think afterwards is figuring out what level, for me, it was figuring out what level of stimulation you should be on. They have several, eight programs. They put you on a program one in here, and you try that, and then there's several levels. You, they start you low, like at a one, and it goes 1.5, 2, 2.5, and you have to figure out sort of, I call it my sweet spot, where it is that I have the right stimulation. Now, some people will feel the stimulation. I've never felt it. I actually forget I have this. I don't think about it anymore. I don't think about where the bathroom is. I don't think how am I going to travel. In fact, I traveled with a friend, and she was used to stopping all the time for me. We'd get frustrated. We stopped three times before I asked to stop for her, and she goes, something's wrong here. You know, it just, it totally changed my life. Well, that is a fascinating device. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about it and how it works? I think we've got a, a video that kind of uh, explains or shows kind of an animation more of the device, but. Yeah, well, so the, the woman in the video there had a, uh, what's called sacroneuromodulation, and there's a company that makes, there's two companies that make it. There's the Interstim for Medtronic, and then uh, Axonics is a newer company that makes a similar product. And this device, stimulates the nerves that go to both the bladder and the pelvic floor and the rectum to help both urinary incontinence, like urge incontinence, urgency frequency, and also helps people who have trouble emptying their bladder, as well as it helps uh, people with fecal incontinence. And the aspect of this, how exactly it works, is so, still somewhat of a mystery, but there's an aspect where it can help override the system to kind of re-regulate the nervous system that controls how we pee and uh, urinate and those types of things as well as our bowel dysfunction. As nerves move up and down, it can help kind of re-regulate that. And I don't know if Dr. Wood, you have other things to add to neuromodulation? Yeah, no, I think that's that's very well spoken, Dr. Barker. Um, the way I explain it to patients is, you know, your brain and your bladder communicate to control urination. And your bladder has two jobs. It stores urine and it empties urine. And if it is failing to do either of those jobs well, the interstim could be right for you. If it's that urgency, you're not emptying the bladder, fecal incontinence, et cetera. And so it's basically just stimulating the nerves that affect the bowel and bladder to correct that communication between the brain and the bladder. And so it's not, you know, it's not gonna change your brain. It's not gonna change, it's not implanted in the bladder. It's all affecting the nervous system. The great thing is the device has improved so much over time. The new Interstim X that actually was just released, gosh, two weeks ago maybe, now has a 10-year battery life on it and probably even longer, depending on you know how it's implanted. Um, they're MRI compatible. There's really no major contraindication unless you have a neurological condition that is the cause of your urinary incontinence. But it's one of my favorite surgeries to do because like my 
very sweet patient just mentioned, you know, it changes your life. You can go on road trips. You can, you don't have to know where every bathroom is in the store and nothing's perfect. I mean, these conditions, especially urge incontinence, it's very hard to cure them, but we can make them a lot better and we can make your quality of life a lot better. And if that doesn't sound like the right treatment for you, we have others in our arsenal that are available as well. Yeah, so these patients have what's called overactive bladder and it's a syndrome. We don't know the cause of it. We know that it gets worse as we age. We know that women are more affected by men, but that changes once they get to about their, their mid 80s. And this neuromodulation can help with women with those conditions, but it's usually reserved for people who failed medication management, physical therapy, dietary changes, weight loss, all those things that can contribute to that. And it's one of the procedures that we can offer people who uh, failed those typical conservative or medical management and the other third line therapies we typically call them it could be either botox therapy to the bladder which paralyzes the muscle of the bladder so it's not contracting as frequently or we could stimulate the nerve of the ankle called the tibial nerve it's a office-based procedure that you have to come in once a week for a couple uh, three months and then monthly or then like in the video you saw there that that patient had had sacral neuromodulation which as Dr. Wood stated can last much longer you have MRI compatible devices like she said and and the battery technology for both companies that make this have, have now lasted can last 10-15 years. Now is that going to set off uh, TSA bells and whistles when they're going through the airport or now that uh, hopefully someone would be able to travel better? Uh, yeah, there shouldn't be any problem with that, but that MRI compatibility was a huge oh. change for this. Be, just uh, MRIs are not that common, but they're common enough for, for people to do this. And I know, Lauren, maybe you can talk about this, but I see a lot of people who've had multiple back surgeries, have neurologic things, neuropathy, other types of neurologic conditions, not necessarily like uh, MS, but right. those patients who had some type of back surgery, I sometimes like to use uh, this therapy for those patients. I don't know what's your thoughts on that. Absolutely. You know, my line of thinking, and this is off label from what the company would say, so I'm not speaking, you know, on their behalf, but if you have a working spinal cord, I think you're a candidate for interstem. If you have urgent continence and there is still any connection left between your brain and your bladder, this could help you. And so I am hopeful that the FDA is going to approve this for neurologic issues in the future. But even, you know, even women who have MS, if their urinary symptoms started, before they were diagnosed, I will absolutely give it a shot because how can you prove with the number of men and women who have incontinence who don't have MS, how do you know it's from MS? I mean, sure that can affect your bladder, but I'm always, I would like to be willing to give people the benefit of the doubt and, and try it. And now that we have the ability to test this technology in our office with local anesthesia in a 15 minute procedure before even going to surgery, I think it's well worth trying if you're interested in it. Yeah, and I, and I think you're seeing these procedures for overactive bladder become more common or, you, or your viewers might say, oh, my friend had this, had Botox, or they had a neuromodulation or a tibial nerve stimulator. The reason that is is because the medicines maybe help maybe 40% of the time, but a whole class of those medicines that we typically use to treat overactive bladder have an association with memory issues and potentially in association with dementia. So using those medicines long term has really kind of taken us away from utilizing these medicines as frequently. 
Unfortunately, the insurance companies haven't caught up in these types of ideas. And, uh, but you have to be a little bit careful about medication management now of patients with overactive bladder, especially using a class of medicines that are called antimuscarinics because of the memory component. So it's Man, not I'm just so dry mouth and constipation. No. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's, that's the trick of Zoom. But yeah, I mean, my patients with those medications are like, oh, my mouth is so dry, I'm having constipation, it's gotten worse. You know, these, yes, I'm not peeing, but is this any better? My life, quality of life hasn't improved. Right, and so many women come in. I can't tell you how many women come in in their 70s or 80s, and they've been taking these medications for 10 or 15 years. They're still leaking. And we now know, as Dr. Barker said, if you take these medications for more than three months over the age of 55, you have almost a one and a half times the increased risk of having dementia. I haven't yet to meet a patient that was willing to accept that risk. And so if you're basically on any medication other than Mirabegron or Merbetric or um, Gemtesa, please talk to your doctor and say, hey, is this medication safe for me? Because I think, you know, primary care doctors and internal medicine doctors have so much to deal with. Matt and I just have to deal with here to here, right? We're just <laughs> kidneys to bladder and, and you guys have the whole body. And so if you're dealing with blood pressure, cholesterol, you know, diabetes, thyroid, and you get to all this, sometimes incontinence just, I'm and Dr. Cruz, I'm amazed that you ask your patients about that. That's so critical. And even if you just say, okay, it bothers you, let me send you on. But you'd be amazed the number of physicians that don't ask or don't have time to ask and it gets dropped to the bottom of the list and then people just stay on these dangerous medications and physicians may not even know the risks because they have to worry about the whole body and we have the benefit of just specializing in that one area. So yeah, that's yeah. that's like my biggest take home message. If you learn nothing else tonight, please don't stay on these dangerous medications <laughs> and come see one of us to help you out. I, I would agree, Dr. Wood. And I, and I think the other thing, and I wanna hear your comments on this too, Dr. Wood, is not only would you worry about the association with dementia, but some of the hardest patients that Dr. Wood and I see are people that have dementia. And we know that incontinence is one of the symptoms of people who have memory issues. And it's one of the leading causes of people going into nursing homes. But there's also this correlation with both urinary and fecal incontinence. And those patients become really hard to manage because of the uh, loss of faculties and those types of things that these patients face with dementia. But that's becoming a bigger problem that, that's making our job a little bit harder because our population is aging. Just as there's 30 million people with overactive bladder, there's 30 million people with dementia potentially in, the near, in our near future. And so, you know, screening for that or people that have memory issues, really screening for urinary and bowel issues becomes, uh, should be a part of that or people that work in a nursing home or have family members in, in nursing homes because that, that, that's, a, that's a big problem in our society right now. Yeah, definitely. And this procedure, um, is it like an outpatient procedure? You come in, have it done, and go home the same day, or what's yes. this? I don't, I'm not sure what Dr. Barker's doing like for his prolapse and stuff, but every procedure that I do now, whether for prolapse, incontinence, overactive bladder, fecal incontinence, is a same-day procedure. Um, Interstim is done, or sacral neuromodulation is done under a combination of local anesthetic and moderate sedation. So it's more like a colonoscopy. You know, there's no breathing tube. Um, very little downtime. You can get back to your regular activities pretty quickly. And as you heard, you know, my patient say she took one pain pill. And so, and there are people that need more for sure, want to take a few days off of work, but this is not a huge endeavor. This is not a major open surgery. And um, certainly I think if you can get 10 years of relief from your symptoms, certainly worth a shot. 
Yeah, no, it is a, a quick procedure, and, and there's different stages of this procedure. So one of the things you can offer them is what we call a trial. That's where these wires are placed, and it can be done in the office or it can be done in a surgery suite, where these wires are, are just placed in the, in the tailbone, and they're taped to their back for a week, and they pull them out. And there's, they're back to work the next day. There's no recovery. There's no lasting impact or nerve damage potential. It's a quick procedure just to see if this type of therapy would help them. So it's a way for Dr. Wood and I to kind of see if these patients could benefit from putting an implant device into their, into their body. So it's not like you have to put all this stuff like you see in the diagrams on, on the, the earlier segment, but there are ways to just to see if this, hey, is this the type of therapy that will work for me that are even less invasive than putting in the implant initially? Wow. So you get to take it for a test drive? 100%. Make sure you like it before you buy it. Excellent. Absolutely. And how big are the incisions? Are they pretty tiny or? Let's say about this big. Okay. Zoom doesn't do it justice. It's small <laughs> here. <laughs> My patient, I think, exaggerated a, a little, little bit. I would agree. Was yeah. A smaller. So, so you, can, you won't be able to see them, and they're below the waistline and those types of things. And you can swim and do all those activities with it. So. I actually have a little battery here. This is just a sample. Um, you can see next to my pen, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They're pretty small. Yeah. And so, and there are other options for battery sizes, but most people, you'll never be able to tell. It's under the skin and we can usually find a little pocket of fat to hide it in and it's not going to stick out sorely. And so they're pretty small and they're getting smaller Every yeah, time we new. just I just did that. You talked about the uh, the newer newer battery. It's a little bit smaller than even the one you held up uh, yeah. initially. So wow. the technology it's 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 changing so rapidly. And uh, but again, the, the need for this therapy is expanding rapidly as our population ages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So things are really changing, and uh, technology is getting better. More more things that we can do. Excellent. Well, women with bowel, bladder, or sexual dysfunction may find relief through a type of physical therapy. Prairie Doc reporter Esther Michael spoke with a physical therapist who specializes in this type of treatment. I do pelvic floor rehabilitation, pelvic floor physical therapy. Pelvic floor physical therapy is basically the assessment of your pelvis and the pelvic floor and other surrounding muscles. And we assess that in order to be able to find what we need to treat um, to help any patients with bowel, bladder, or sexual dysfunction. It takes patients an average of seven years to mention pelvic concerns to their primary health care provider. The sooner patients communicate, the faster they can begin to heal. Exercise is definitely an important component of what we work on in pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, we want to look at um, definitely strengthening if we do find weakness on that assessment. And so strengthening, um, the first and foremost thing most people think of are Kegels, which are pelvic floor contractions or pelvic floor squeezes. Um, and certainly that might be an appropriate thing, um, but it's more than that. Um, we would want to look at how does the hip muscles and the abdominal muscles and other core muscles play into what's going on in your pelvic floor? So often my treatment might consist of Kegels, but also some hip strengthening or some core strengthening and how do those muscles work together? It takes about an hour to undergo a pelvic evaluation depending on the patient's needs. Relaxation stretching is a common exercise to strengthen and alleviate pain from a patient's pelvic floor. 
I discuss a lot in my treatment sessions is what we call this abdominal canister. Um, and definitely stress urinary incontinence, pelvic prolapse, and something um, that often pregnant women or postpartum women will deal with is called a diastasis recti, which is separation of the abdominal muscles. Those three diagnoses um, are very uh, much more increased by being poor managers of the pressure in our abdominal cavity. And so um, something people could avoid that's very simple is avoid holding your breath when you do difficult things. Many of us hold our breath when we don't even realize it um, and that can increase the pressure in this cavity which then pushes down on a full bladder possibly causing leaking, pushes down on our organs um, possibly increasing prolapse um, symptoms or, or could lead to a diagnosis there. Har says that some patients with urinary incontinence drink less water, but that can actually result in further problems like causing the pelvic floor to push out concentrated urine, leading to more leakage. In physical therapy for the pelvic floor, such as incontinence, um, both fecal incontinence and urinary incontinence, as well as constipation and pelvic pain are very common. But just because things are common does not mean they are normal. Um, these are hard things to talk about because it's sort of a taboo subject in our society. But physical therapy can be a very useful treatment um, to be used for this. And it's very um, safe. There is very minimal side effects. I love Monica. I think she does an amazing job and I love her, her quote and I've said this to lots of patients, just because something is common does not mean it is normal. And I think that when we're talking about female urinary incontinence, it's common, but it is not normal. Well, I'm, I'm glad you had uh, Monica on there who is a great uh, physical therapist, but specifically she specializes in pelvic floor physical therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think there's this misnomer of what pelvic floor therapy is. People are a little reluctant to it. Last time they went to therapy, they were in a big room, they were working on their knee, where this type of therapy is by a trained specialist who has extra training in hours and dealing with uh, pelvic floor disorders in women. And it is a uh, a private exam room, it is an internal exam, it's also stretching an external exam, because so much of the pelvic floor is not just the bowl of muscles and the organs that are in there, but it's related to their core muscles or their lower back muscles, or uh, all those muscles are, are part of this, and seeing a physical therapy can, can help with all, all those things, and uh, it's key to what we do. I'm just th Your thoughts on that, Dr. Wood, there? Yeah, absolutely. I personally have been to pelvic floor physical therapy during my first pregnancy and um, it helped tremendously. You know, I was having some issues with my sacroiliac joint and some lower back pain and other things. And, you know, I think it's important to understand too that pelvic floor physical therapy is not just Kegel exercises. And while those can be helpful for some women and certain types of incontinence, it's not actually appropriate. They're not actually appropriate for everyone. And if you're, you know, I'm sure you've seen this, Dr. Barker, when a woman comes in and is having pain with intercourse and feels like they're just in spasm and they're going, I'm doing my Kegels and it's not helping and they're overworking an overworked muscle. And so I think, you know, don't overlook pelvic floor physical therapy because you say, oh, I've tried Kegels. There are so many things that they can do that are non-surgical, that are non-invasive 
as a, a, a wonderful adjunct to the types of therapies we provide or as an initial first step if maybe you're not ready for a surgery, et cetera. Yeah. I, and, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. There's one thing I want to address from the video because I'm sure, you know, Matt and I spent all day talking about this, but don't drink water unless you're thirsty. <laughs> if you're not thirsty, you don't need to drink water. And what I say to my patients is if someone said to you, Lauren, if you're not hungry, even if you're not hungry, I just want you to eat and eat and eat and eat all day long. Would you do that? I mean, that's ludicrous. And so this whole eight glasses of water thing, there's nothing to it. There's no science behind it. Um, there are a few medical conditions that can be improved by increased hydration like kidney stones. But honestly, it's very rare. And I see so many women come in and they're like, I'm peeing every 30 minutes, I'm peeing every hour. And I ask them what they're drinking and they're drinking two gallons of water a day. I probably drink a cup of water a day and a cup of coffee a day. And you just, you don't have to drink unless you're thirsty. And I think that is the biggest misconception about urinary incontinence. And I wish anyone walking through the door knew that so that, you know, we, and people will fight you on it too. And I'm like, I promise I'm not trying to hurt you. I just, I want to help you, but you don't need all this water. I mean, maybe you can say something more to that matter. Maybe you disagree. Yeah, I mean, I wish most of my patients were just drinking water. It's all the other right. things we are consuming. And, and I'm not going to get an argument with you because I know you love your coffee, Dr. Woods. So <laughs> I, I, I won't, won't poo-poo that too much. But uh, yeah, I think definitely moderation with these things. It's not as simple. And like you said, there's no set stone of what, what you should drink. Um, but I, what I would like people to know with physical therapy, it doesn't help just with stress incontinence. It can help with urge incontinence. It can help with trouble uh, urinating or trouble having a bowel movement or having accidents of stool or pain with intercourse. And doing a Kegel, like Dr. Wood said, you could contract the muscle, but there's also those times where the muscles are in spasm or we call it hypertonicity, where they're constantly, they can't relax. And that's where physical therapy can, can really help and uh, it needs to be more universal. We need more therapists, uh, especially in our smaller communities. We need physical therapists in nursing homes that can work with women who are suffering from these types of incontinence because it is very effective. And like I tell my patients, what are the side effects? You're not gonna get dry mouth, you're not gonna get constipation, <laughs> right. you're not gonna get dementia. Yeah, you know? and, but I think it's getting past that, that misconception of they're going in some room with a bunch of people with knee pain. It, it's, it's very discreet. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, it just like any type of thing, it, it takes a lot of therapy, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of visits, but the, the, it's gonna help in, in many cases. Yeah, and therapists like Monica, I mean, they are so, um, well-trained and appropriate with this and, you know, being respectful and, you know, because this is an embarrassing thing for many it's, women. It's extremely it's, sensitive. Yes, it, it's hard to bring it up in the first place and then to have to bear this, you know, bear your soul, bear your embarrassment and then bear physically. Uh, to get it treated, that, that can be a barrier to care. That's why I'm glad we're on this show here talking about it. Dr. Wood, everybody, we're raising awareness. I mean, there's no shame in it. Just there's more women in this country, or there's more adults in this country with overactive bladder than there are with diabetes. And we all know someone who has diabetes, which means we all know someone who has overactive bladder, but we just don't talk about it. And there's, there's no reason not to. It's a medical problem just like any other. And, you know, I, I wish we could remove this stigma associated with it because I guarantee you if you're in a room with your girlfriends or you know your family members someone in that room is leaking and, and we can help them and they just don't have to do that alone and they don't have to be silent about it anymore you don't have to talk to your friends about it but at least come talk to us um I also it's interesting that you kind of 
talk about being diabetes, it, it's another aspect that this is a chronic disease. All these therapies we have, sometimes we hit a home run and people are 100% better, but more time it's kind of balancing expectations and understanding the different types of incontinence and how changing your diet, weight loss, physical therapy, medications, sacred neuromodulation, all these things are part of this continuum to kind of get people better, but we have to work as a team. You know, I might not have all the answers, Dr. Wood might have all the answers, but we work with the patients. And I think sometimes, I don't know, Dr. Wood, if you see this where they come, well, this isn't, this isn't better. Well, this right. aspect of it is, and it's just kind of work through this, why we ask them to do diaries or why we want them to come back and see us and kind of follow up on things is because this, this disease is a continuum throughout their lifetime that's going to have ups and downs and we want to help manage them with that. Speaking of yeah, diaries, you're not talking about writing your secrets and, and no. locking it with the little. Uh, <laughs> t talk about what, what is avoiding diary or bladder diary? Sure, so a, a bladder or bladder and bowel diary is basically just a form that's gonna say for several days, typically what you're drinking and how much, when you're urinating, are you leaking? And what are you doing when you're leaking? Were you sitting down? Did you sneeze? Were you rushing to the bathroom because you didn't make it? Um, and so this just kind of helps us, I think having an objective data point before an intervention like sacral neuromodulation so that when someone comes back and says, I'm still leaking once a day, we can say, well, you were leaking four times a day. And you know, when I was 15, I could do the splits, but I can't do that anymore because my body is getting older and changing and you wouldn't want to see me try. And so just like, we're all going to get older, our bodies are going to change. We're not going to make you 18 again. We're not going to make you perfect but we can, there are things that we can do to really help. And I think just having that bladder diary is to say, hey, I know that things aren't perfect, but look how far we have come and look what progress you've made. And the goal is not perfection. The goal is improvement in quality of life. And, and like Dr. Barker said, there are patients who are dry after these procedures. There are patients who have perfectly normal anatomy after prolapse surgery. And so that's that certainly can happen but it is really important to manage expectations so that we're all on the same page with these treatments. Yeah, I, I always tell patients that the bladder is a poor witness, all right? <laughs> yep. So they come to my office and they uh, well, what, what, tell me about your symptoms. And to try and, they'll minimize them. They might go 15 times a day, but they'll tell you they go five and you're looking at the bladder diary, they don't add up. So the most inexpensive free thing that I give patients to come and bring back to me is that bladder diary is really key to it. And if the bladder is a poor witness, when I start talking about their bowels, they're not even anywhere near the scene of the crime, all right? Uh, because, geez, you ask someone about their bowel movements and you've got the full menu of who hut, all right, before you even get to the story of when their accidents are occurring. And so I think having, having them uh, do those types of diaries to really help kind of gives them some objectivity to what's bothering them but you'd be surprised how many people do a bladder diary and get better because they realize they went too long voiding. They were drinking something right. too much. There, there is some therapeutic nature. And again, it's that patient buy-in to their disease process. And, and these diaries are really helpful. So uh, if the only thing, if anyone comes and sees me, if they do their bladder or bowel diaries, I would greatly appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> so very important to get that uh, objective data of how often these problems are happening. And you talked about, um, you know, diet or things that sounds like caffeine uh, is is one of those triggers we need to watch out about you want to make this a real heated discussion between <laughs> dr wood and i and i uh 
No, I, I think everything in moderation, and I, and I agree with Dr. Wood. I, I, it's you know there there is no normal of, of mm -hmm. fluid intake. But clearly there are certain things that are bladder irritants. Smoking is a bladder irritant. Mm -hmm. Certain foods can be a bladder irritant. Mm -hmm. Some women and men suffer from a sensory problem of their bladder where they can't have very acidic types of foods or drinks. So everyone's a little, little, little different, but I think everything in, in life moderation is key. I would agree with that. And I do tell my patients to cut back on caffeine. It's just, I'm addicted to coffee myself. <laughs> But I also don't have urge incontinence. And if I did, I would cut back just like I recommend to my patients that it, it is critical. And so, you know, if you can have a cup of coffee and not have problems, that's fine. When you start drinking 10 cups of coffee and you're peeing every 20 minutes, well, we have to decide, you know, what's more important, normal bladder habits or your coffee. And if you can go decaf or, you know, switch to water, that would be preferable in those situations. Okay. So... Well, a lot of things that uh, can be done. And, and when you were saying Botox and, and couldn't make you 18, I'm like, but, but if you put a little right here. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, make my bladder look 18 is. We can how... make the inside of your bladder look 18. Yes, right. there you go. There we go. So uh, how does Botox help the bladder? I mean, it just seems crazy to think that making a muscle not contract. Right. Yeah. Well, the bladder, the bladder is a muscle. It's called the detrusor muscle. And in overactive bladder, it's just that your bladder is squeezing too much without your permission. I mean, if you, you know, if your arm was moving without your permission, we'd call that a tickle. Your bladder is squeezing and it's giving you that urgency and that frequency and sometimes the ability not even to be able to make it to the bathroom in time. And so injecting the Botox directly in the bladder after placement of some local anesthetic jelly um, can really help with basically it stops the neurotransmitter from causing the muscle to contract. And so it's very safe. It's not going to, you know, I wish I could take a little extra and put it up here right now, but um, it lasts for about six months on average and there's no surgery. There's no downtime. The biggest risk would be occasionally women have to catheterize very temporarily, um, but that's pretty rare. And occasionally women will get a bladder infection after, but I don't know what you, you do in your practice, Dr. Barker, but we do give an antibiotic at the time of the procedure to try to minimize that risk. And it's a great non-invasive option for, for women that have these overactive bladder and incontinence issues. Yeah, there's no anesthesia. It's a five-minute procedure in the office. They can drive themselves to it. Uh, it's highly efficacious. It's more efficacious than the medicines. Um, there's different dosing regimens for this. And um, I tell most of my patients that I see, it's about an every six-month treatment because you want to stay on top of the disease state meaning that you don't want to wait till their incontinence is back to where it was. You want to keep giving the medicine so they don't go back to where they were. And this is a very uh, easy procedure to do that I think is very helpful, especially in our older population, especially people who use a lot of pads. Those are the kind of patients that I'm usually steering more towards Botox. I don't know about you, Dr. Wood, but that's kind of how I've done it in my clinic. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. You know, and if someone's in a nursing home or they're too frail to have surgery, but they're still in diapers and pads all day, it can make a huge impact on their quality of life, on their caregiver's quality of life. Um, you know, if you've ever walked into a nursing home, you know it smells like urine and mm -hmm. Botox really helps a lot of people. Now I have young women too who do Botox. And so it's a very individualized choice. And, you know, we talked about tibial nerve stimulation, Botox, neuromodulation. Those are all options for pretty much anyone um, and we just have to make a choice together on what's best for for each patient on an individual basis. Excellent.
Excellent. Well, we have just a few minutes left here, so uh, I'll give you each about a minute to take home one thing you want everyone to remember from the show. So, Matt. Well, at first I want to thank Dr. Wood and thank you, Dr. Cruz, for, for uh, allowing us to come and talk about these things today. It's extremely common uh, disease of the pelvic floor. There are minimally invasive procedures and non-invasive type of procedures, therapies, physical therapy. It's getting the care you need and individualizing your treatment for what bothers you. And uh, don't be surprised when you come in and see someone like Dr. Wood or myself is that we say, oh, is this also bothering you? Because so many things overlap that patients might not be aware. And I think it's healthy to ask about these questions, whether they're seeing their primary care doc or coming to see a specialist, but you know, right. just being open about what bothers you in there because there's care available. All right, so Lauren, you get about 20 seconds here. Sorry, Lauren. Okay, that's Speed fine. I think, I think Matt covered everything great. Common does not mean normal. And one thing we didn't touch on today, but Please don't be afraid if you hear the word mesh. So don't avoid us just because you've heard someone that had a mesh issue. That's a totally separate issue that we get into another day. But just know we're here to help. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. And there's a ton of options available for all sorts of problems from you know no invasion at all to, to minor surgeries. And so we're here to help. And either of us would be more than happy to, to help you in any way we can. All right, awesome. Well, we'll be back after this. Until next time, stay healthy out there, people. Over the course of my career, I have performed countless pelvic exams on women of all ages from all walks of life. There are two common patient behaviors that I have observed. First, most women leave their socks on. This could be the fact that most stirrups are cold, but it could also seem that one feels just a little less exposed when wearing at least one item of their own clothing. The other thing that almost every woman does in the exam room is hide her undergarments underneath her pile of clothes. It is interesting that almost everyone, me included, feels the need to cover and hide their unmentionables when they are about to have those very areas normally covered by these garments examined. Therefore, it is no surprise that it can be difficult for women to voice concerns when it comes to their private areas. These areas are just that, private. Women do not often visit with family or friends about incontinence, menstrual regularities, or pelvic pain. It may be easy to discuss gallbladder issues or a migraine headache, but it is much more embarrassing to ask a friend if she leaks a little bit of urine when she sneezes, jumps, or coughs after birthing a child. This condition is common, but it can be treated. But we don't talk about it. We may not even realize when something is normal or if it's something to be concerned about. It is perfectly fine for women to hide our underwear from our healthcare providers, but let's not hide our concerns or be embarrassed about discussing the areas covered by these garments. If we choose not to talk about it, 
what may seem like a minor nuisance could lead to a bigger problem. For example, vaginal spotting or bleeding after menopause is never normal and should always be reported to your provider. It could be caused by harmless uterine fibroids, but it might be a sign of uterine cancer. The sooner you discuss it with your doctor, the better. Unfortunately, I have seen too many women who suffer in silence because they figure whatever happening to them must be normal or just a sign of getting older or the price of having children. Primary care providers and OBGYNs are ready to help you talk about these sensitive topics. When you uncover and discuss your concerns, they will listen, diagnose, and treat with care. So go ahead, keep your socks on and hide your unmentionable clothing. But please, never hide your health concerns. A big thank you to Matt and Lauren for volunteering their time to help us learn more about lady problems which we should not be shy to ask our healthcare providers about. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedoc.org. Look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. From all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, as we celebrate our 20th season, of truthful, tested, and timely medical information. Until next time, stay healthy out there, people. As parents and grandparents, we hope for many things for our children and grandchildren. At the top of that list is good health, raising healthy kids. Next time on Call with the Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season. Hello, my name is Dr. Ken Bartholomew from Pierre, and I serve on the Healing Words Foundation Board. This year we celebrate the 20th season of the Prairie Doc, created by my friend, the late Dr. Rick Holm. I watched as the Prairie Doc TV, radio, and newspaper programs were created, and now I watch as the legacy continues. Countless professionals donate their time to bring timely, trusted, truthful medical information free to the public without advertising spin or bias. As a native of Lemon, South Dakota, I realize how important this is, particularly to people in rural areas. You can help sustain the work of the Prairie Doc. Truthful, tested, timely information for 20 seasons. Please consider a charitable gift to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 corporation. Go to prairiedoc.org and donate today. And thank you. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Doc on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, 
Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flanger District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftle Communications. Thank you.